0: Matthew chapter number eight this morning. If you're there, say amen. Look down, we'll look at one verse, or two verses in eight, one verse in chapter number nine. and I'll just give you what the Lord's laid on my heart. But look at verse number five of Matthew chapter number eight. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of a palsy, grievously tormented. Now turn down to verse number 28. And when he was come to the other side into the country of the, now I wrote this down, Gergesenos. I don't know if that's even near right. That's how the guy pronounced it on the app. There met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no man might pass by that way. Then look at chapter number 9, verse number 10. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that heaven is is a real place or it's a promised place. It's a place that we long for, we look for, we're excited about, we rejoice about. We ask you, Lord, this morning that you just, Lord, never let us get away from grace. Lord, never let us get away from the fact, Lord, that all that we have right now, at this very moment, within our possession, and that's been promised to us, Lord, we deserve none of it. Lord, it's because of your grace. Lord, freedom comes with your grace. Lord, it's not a freedom to live however I want to, to say whatever I want to, but, Lord, it's a freedom to live a life that is pleasing unto you. And I ask you, Lord, this morning that you'd hide me behind the cross of Calvary. God, would get me out of myself, Lord, and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask you, Lord, that you'd make preaching what you desire and design it to be. And I pray, Lord, this morning I'd just be nothing more than a mouthpiece used of God to bring glory to your name. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that needs to be saved, Lord, they need to have that personal relationship with you, and I pray, Lord, you'd work on their hearts this morning and draw them unto yourself. Speak clearly to them, Lord. Reveal unto them their, their condition. God, also show them the, the way of salvation. We ask you, Lord, this morning that you'd work in each and every individual heart. God, help us not to leave out of here, God, the same way that we walked in. Well, we love you and we thank you We'll give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Now, this morning, my message could be real short because we're going to answer the question this morning of of this. Who can come to the Lord? Who can come to the Lord? And I could really answer that question with one word, whosoever. Whosoever. We can stop right there, say amen, pray and go home and there's the truth. Who can come to God? Whosoever will, uh, let him come. Whosoever will, let him call upon the name of the Lord and he shall be saved. We know that this morning in the general sense that God and God is able and God is willing to save anybody that comes to him in faith. We know that this morning. We know it in the broad spectrum. But here's the beauty of the word whosoever in that broad spectrum. That is when you start to deal with the specifics, it does not lose its truth, nor does it lose its power. If I were to make this statement to one of my children, uh, that God created everything. One of my children would begin to ask me, "What well, did God create the trees? yes. Did God create the water, yes. Did God create the sun, yes. And they would go list by list, specific by specific. And in the specifics, we learn that God created everything. And so this morning, we're gonna look at this thought of who can come to God. It helps one to realize when we begin to to deal with specific scenarios in specific ways, it makes it personal to us this morning. We begin to realize that God can save somebody like me and God really did save somebody like me and that God can save somebody like you and God really did save somebody like you this morning and we're gonna see here this morning three distinct people that came to the Lord and you say, well, preacher, what if you're done and I don't line up with any of those three people and I don't find myself in a similar place or a similar position as those people? Preacher, what if I don't find myself there? Rest assured this morning, that who we cover this morning is not everybody that came to Christ, even within the chapters eight and nine of the book of Matthew. So I'd encourage you to go read, and you'll find somebody who'll say, there, "That's that's just like me. That's where I was. That's what I was going through." And I'm thankful that I could come to the Lord. We see here this morning. May I remind you that before they ever came to the Lord, the Lord came to them. <laughs> John chapter number one, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I'm glad this morning long before I ever realized that I needed the Lord and that I needed to be saved, that my, my life needed to be changed. I'm glad that Jesus came and did everything that already needed to be done this morning that me and you could have eternal life. Aren't you glad that Jesus is always where you need Him to be when you need Him to be there, being who you need Him to be? Aren't you glad that when you came to Jesus, He was exactly who He said He was? He did exactly what He said He could do, and He did it for you this morning. But we're going to look this morning at three people who came to the Lord. We're looking at Matthew chapter eight and Matthew chapter number nine. Every person can come to Christ by realizing they fall into one of the following categories. Number one, we see those who can't fix it themselves. We see those who can't fix it themselves. Look at Matthew chapter number eight, verse number five. The Bible says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the aposie, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say this, and I, I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you. I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. We see here this morning in Matthew chapter eight, verses five, here that we read down this morning, we see a man who cannot fix it for himself. There's a problem that is greater than him, but what I find interesting here is the Bible says that Jesus enters into a place called Capernaum. It's a place there over in the Bible land that we, we know about, we read about in our Bible, but it's a place, if you look the word Capernaum up, it literally means a village of comfort a village of comfort, it was a resort town, so to speak. It was a place where you would go to get away from it all, a place where you would go and just, you know, just lay back, let your hair down, relax a little bit, take a little vacation, and then go back to real life. But me and you know this morning that just because we're in comfortable surroundings does not mean that we are in a comfortable situation. We think about it this way in church. You ever came to church and the songs are sang, the, the word of God is preached and there's the peace of God present in the building. But there's something in your life. There's, there's an issue that is going on that is, you're struggling with. You're, 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 you're debating with, you're going back and forth with and you're in a comfortable place, but you're not comfortable at the time. That's where we find this centurion. He's in Capernaum. He's in a place that should be comfortable, but he's got a problem that he can't fix. Verse number six, he comes to the Lord and he explains his issue to the Lord. What's going on back home? What's going on where he's from? He says, in saying, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of a pause, he grievously tormented What I find ironic here, that this time in history, the Roman Empire is in charge of Israel. The Roman Empire is ruling over Israel. The Roman Empire has conquered Israel. And here's a centurion, a Roman soldier, not just a a low man on the totem pole, so to speak, but here's a man with authority, a man who is part of that great Roman army, who has conquered land after land after land after land, and now he's not appealing to Caesar. He's not appealing to the next general. He's found himself appealing to this man named Jesus, who in his eyes was probably just a Jew his eyes was probably just like everybody else he had ever conquered, but he heard something different about this man. He heard what this man could do and what this man has done, and he thought, if Caesar can't do it, if the general can't do it, if I can't do it, I might as well try Jesus. The Bible says that he approaches the Lord who has graciously let him come and have an audience with him. He tells him his problem, and notice this, it's not a work problem, so to speak. The centurion here is not saying one of my soldiers has been attacked. One of my soldiers has been injured. One of my soldiers has an issue. Would you please help my soldier so we can continue on conquering, we can continue on bringing glory to Caesar's name so we can continue going on and doing that which we enjoy to do. He says, no, Lord, there's a servant. Where? At home. We see this morning that this centurion's problem that he can't fix is a problem that is at home. A problem in that place where there ought to be peace, that place where there ought to be joy, that place where there ought to be contentment and that that, that comfortableness that ought to be in a home. And he says, Lord, it is not there and I can't fix it. The Bible says the servant was grievously torn. He had palsy. It, was, it wasn't just the fact he couldn't do something. He was in great pain. He was in great anguish. He was tormented by this thing. And I could see that centurion look at him and saying, I wish there was something I could do for you. I wish I could help you. I wish I could fix this, but I cannot do this by myself. Oh, I can walk across the lands and I can, I can conquer for Caesar. I'm a man of war and I've got great power, but I can't help you. His appeal in verse number six. He tells the Lord, I want it to be fixed, but I don't know how. You ever been there this morning with a problem or an issue in life? Or you want it fixed so bad. And you've tried everything you know to do. You've read every book you can about it. You've, you, you've watched every YouTube video you can think of to watch. And you've, you've turned to every other source for help and encouragement. And you just keep coming up empty. Can I say this morning, there's some problems in our life that only God can fix. We're just wasting our time trying to do it all by ourselves. So he goes to the Lord and he says, Lord, I need your help. Look at verse number seven. Look at this great response to the Lord. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. I mean, does it get any better than that? Not only that he's promised that he will heal him, but he promised that he'll come to where his house is. But we see here this morning, this centurion says, that's not necessary, Lord. You don't need to do that you don't need to come to my home and heal him. Now, can I say this morning, I gotta stop back and say, that's what I want. That's what I desire. That's what I would love. Could you imagine this morning if God opened up the heavens and he allowed the Son of God to come down and sit with us imagine the church service we'd have this morning. If the Lord himself was sitting here, and matter of fact, when we meet on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, there's an open invitation that the Lord can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants to do it, but notice here this morning, he He said, I will come and I will heal him. And the centurion says, oh no, Lord. But it's not out of arrogance. It's not out of pride. It's not out of any of that this morning. Because you read down in verse number eight, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy. That thou shouldest come under my table, or under under my roof. (laughs) So you gotta read this in, in the context of the times. As a Roman soldier, he had the ability. And he had the the, the means in the government backing behind him that he could tell any Jew what he wanted them to do and they had to do it. If not, they could put him to death. And here he is talking to the one whom his country has conquered. He says, I'm not you're not worthy or I'm not worthy of you coming underneath my roof. I'm not worthy of you coming into my house. I'm not worthy of you coming and and being so close to me. Can I say this morning, I don't know about you, I can agree with him there too. I'm not worthy of anything that God has done in my life. I'm not worthy of the fact that God fellowships with me. I'm not worthy of the fact that God has graced me with the word of God. I'm not worthy of the fact that God has, a, I had the privilege to pray and that God hears and God, I'm not worthy of any of it this morning. We were in Sunday school teaching about the publican and the Pharisee who how one prayed this way and one prayed the other way. And I begin to pray like I, the Pharisee and how, and I begin to call out those kids one by one in Sunday school this morning. I said, amen, I looked up, they're all looking at me. Like, preacher, who gave you the right to talk like that? Can I say this morning, I don't ever want to get over the fact that I'm not worthy of all that God has done for me. But he tells the Lord, he said, Lord, I'm not worthy. He knew his place, even though he had a great position. But he also knew the potential. He said, Lord, I know how this works. He said, "He said, I know how authority works. He said, I'm a man under authority and I'm also a man of authority. Because of my position, I can tell a man to go and he has to go. And I can tell a man to come and he has to come. I can tell a man to do this and because of my authority, it has to be done. And he's saying, Lord, I'm not worthy of your authority. I'm, not, I'm nowhere near you, Lord. I'm nowhere close to you. And God, if you can just say it, it can be done. You see, he knows his place, he knows his potential. Lord, if you just speak the word only. (laughs) He had to hear it somewhere that there was this man in Israel who could just say things and things happened. (laughs) Get up and walk. Get up and walk. Go and sin no more. They live a free life. Just from the words of his mouth. Lives were changed. In essence, he was telling the Lord, Lord, I'm not worthy of you coming to my house. There's nothing in my house, Lord, that's worthy of you. There's nothing in my house, Lord, that brings honor to you. But Lord, I know that if you just speak it, if you'll just say it, that's all that needs to happen. Can I say this morning, we ought to have the same the same understanding and the same belief in God's word this morning. If God said it, that's all that needs to be said this morning. That's all that needs to be done. God doesn't need me and you to impress him this morning. God doesn't need me and you to try to try to uh, show him how things need to be done. We just say, Lord, you said it and I believe it. And let it settle our hearts this morning. He knew the potential, he knew the place, he knew the process. God, if you'll just say it, it'll happen. Verse number 10 through 13. Jesus steps back. The Bible said he, he was marveled. He steps back and I can see with a smile on his face. <laughs> There's his disciples over there, men that he's handpicked, men that'll follow him, men that'll serve him, men that will do great things for God. There's the Pharisees over there. They've got all the understanding. They've got all the knowledge, all the education. He said, he looks at them, looks at his disciples, looks at that centurion and says, Faith. It's faith. Not just that's faith. That's the greatest example of faith in all of Israel. Not y'all who should have known better. Not y'all who, who have walked with me and should know by now that I can do great things. He said, this man right here understands how it works. This man has faith that I can take care of what he can't fix. We see here this morning the remarks of the Savior, the accolade given, Out of everybody, it's a Roman centurion soldier. Now, let me help you out this morning. Roman centurion soldiers weren't godly men. They weren't men who I would take my kids and say, hey, be like him. We understand history tells us Rome didn't play. Uh, Rome didn't just say, hey, listen, would you like to be a part of our kingdom? Would you mind if we instill a new government and we kind of take over? If not, we'll just go around you. And we won't mess with you. No, they just conquered and conquered and conquered. But here the Lord says, look look at this man. Look at this man who said he's not worthy to have the Lord in his house. And he's saying this man is the example, the epitome of what faith looks like. Verse number 13, there was a realized answer. And Jesus said unto the centurion, go thy way and as thou hast believed, so it be done unto thee. The Bible says, and his servant was healed in the self-same hour, the very moment, at the same time. Can I say this morning, I'm glad that faith can change things. And it can change things in a moment that me and you have been trying our best to figure out and to fix for a long time. Why? When we appeal to the one who can fix what we can't, I'm glad this morning there's nothing that he cannot fix. We've got that vacuum cleaner here at the church. And it's uh, industrial, commercial, something or other like that. And uh, for a while there, we were just patching it together. (laughs) Which is scary, because I don't know anything about vacuum cleaners. A little belt would break on the bottom, and I'd put a new one on there, it'd break. Put a new one on there, it'd break. I'm thinking, man, what in the world's going on? Then the little fan motor on the inside of it that creates the wind force to take all the dirt from the carpet into the bag. That got broke. Thing sounded, like, sounded like the church bus without a without a Cadillac converter on it. Whoa! Take off. You vacuum in a racing in there. And get the vibrating, shaking screws out of it. And so I did what every man does. I can fix that. Got online, found the replacement part, took the vacuum apart, took pictures of it just so I know how to put it back together. Put it all on there. And it still sounded the same. Burnt the belt up. Finally, I had to come to the realization, I don't know how to fix this. <laughs> and so I took it to Jeff Sewing and Vacuum right there on Washington Road. And to be honest with you, for the majority of my life, I thought, who in the world makes a living fixing vacuum cleaners and sewing machines? And I took it in there. That fella came from the back room. He had them glasses that pull apart. He said... Oh, that's a simple fix. I said, oh, no, sir. No, sir. (laughs) I don't know what you know about vacuums. This is not a simple fix. He said, give me a few seconds. He came back there, went to the back pulled something out. It was like three screws 30 seconds later. He said, let's plug it in and see what it does. Plugged it in and that thing sounded brand new. And then he said, did you realize this part's broken too? I said, I didn't realize that. He goes, oh, yeah, they break all the time. He goes, it's the part where you wrap the cord around. He goes, yeah, they break all the time. I said, I didn't realize it was broke. Here's the thing this morning. Not only could I fix what was broke, I didn't realize how bad it was actually broke. But when you took it to somebody who knows, and somebody who knows how to fix it and knows what needs to be done, I'm glad this morning that Jesus didn't just say, well, here's what I think's wrong with you, and we'll try our best to fix it. Jesus told me things that were wrong about me that I didn't even realize were wrong about me. But I'm glad this morning he could fix it all. When you can't fix it yourself, are you willing to come to the Lord with it and let him fix it this morning? We see number one, who, who can come to God? Those who don't know how to fix it themselves. Notice number two, who can come to God? Those that others couldn't fix. Look at Matthew chapter number eight, verse number 28 this morning and when he was come to the other side into the country of, I wrote it down, I still can't say it, Gergesenos, It also can be translated to Gadarenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. We see two people this morning possessed by devils. They are fierce, not like the modern lingo. That we use the word fierce. These are men that nobody could fix. These were men that nobody could change. These were men that nobody could get right. These were men that not just they couldn't get right, they've gone to the, the means now of just avoiding them all together. Those crazy men living in the tombs, possessed by devils, they'd given up on them. There was nothing else they could do And we know Mark chapter number five, we have the in-depth conversation that Jesus has with one of these men. We understand this morning that Christ makes a difference, but notice here this morning that in verse number 28, it says that so that no man might pass by that way. In essence, that was the side of town and the part of town you knew not to go by, you knew not to go around because you knew if you went by the tombs, if you went by where these men, you were putting your life in danger, you are risking your life this morning so you stayed out of it. They knew they couldn't fix these two. A couple of weeks ago, we were in a cemetery in Washington, Georgia. We were trying to find the grave marker for E.M. Bounds, a great man of God who wrote great books about prayer <laughs> and we had no idea where it was. And so we split up. Miss Becky and Raylan went one way. Me, TR, and Shiloh went another way. <laughs> and uh, I don't know why I do things like this to my kids, but, you know, because normal, normal parents go and hang out in the, in the graveyard. But we were walking and checking the headstone trying to find Ian Bound's headstone. We went into his house earlier that day. We were trying to find it. We're walking and walking and walking <laughs> We came across this one. There was the grave marker right here. And then a foot from it, the ground did this. <laughs> I said, T.R., don't you go nowhere near that one? It looks like they're ready for somebody to get in there. <laughs> I mean, it's caved in at the bottom of it. But I remember we were walking through that, and this is one of those, I mean, I'm, I'm just that way. My kids are that way. You know, it's, it, I'm not just going to go hang out there <laughs> for no reason. But here are these men. That's where they're living at. Because nobody knows what to do with them. Nobody knows how to fix them. Nobody knows how to change what they need changed in their life. But notice this more notice who was comfortable there? The devils were. Can I say this more? I know, I know places where the devils are comfortable. They're, they're comfortable in dead places, dead churches, dead homes, dead schools. That's where they're comfortable at this morning. Preacher, why, why do you desire for our church to be one that is alive, one where the spirit of God is, one where the presence of God is because when he's not here, we open up the doors for anything and everything to come in this morning. But notice notice the knowledge of the devils. Look at verse number 29. It said, and behold, they cried out, not the men, but the devils that were within him. What have thou to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before at the time, one, they knew who the Lord was. They claimed him and called him by his proper title, the son of God. They also knew what was waiting for them impending pending judgment. The sad thing is we can say a lot of, about, the, about the same about a lot of sinners. They've been told who God is. They've been told who Jesus is. And they know the future judgment that is awaiting them outside of the grace of God. And yet they have yet to turn to him. But notice their intentions here in verse number 32. They look out and they see a herd of swine and they said, Lord, if you're gonna kick us out of here, let us go in there. And Jesus says, go. And immediately the Bible says they run that herd of swine down into the water and drown themselves. Can I say this more? The devil only has one intention for your life. It's not to improve it. It's not to make it better. It's not to bless it. It's his desire to ruin it this morning. Only one objection, destruction and death. The Lord helps those two men. Mark chapter number five says that one of them comes back and sits at the feet of Jesus. Interesting, he's clothed. He's got clothes on, but he's also in his right mind. And you would think the town would be excited. God has fixed who they couldn't fix. The Bible says that those men that, he, that were herding those swine go into the city and tell those in the city all that Jesus has done. Look at verse, I want to say it's verse number 34. Verse number 34. It said, Behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they said, Thank you so much for fixing those who couldn't fix themselves. The Bible said they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. They were mad that Jesus fixed what they couldn't fix. We see here this morning, instead of being excited, they tell the Lord to leave. Why? Jesus had just cut into their profit margins. What are you trying to say to preach? I'm trying to say, they couldn't fix these men, and one of the reasons why they couldn't fix them is because they was more interested in money. There's more interest in what they, they, they could receive. Let me ask you this question. Why would a Jew be raising swine? They can't eat them. Let me ask, what else do you do with a pig? Besides eat it. I mean, I'll be the first one thank God for grace. <laughs> Matter of fact, we had maple sausage for breakfast this morning. But in that time, they knew they weren't supposed to be around it. And here they are, raising them. <laughs> Jesus not only fixed what they couldn't fix, he got rid of what they didn't need. And they got upset about it and told him to leave. Get out of here. There's a building being built right down from us. It's gonna be a package shop. And what bothers me is that if we were probably to sit down with that owner and talk to them about the problems that are produced by alcohol and ask them, is this what you want in people's lives? I think they'd say no. I don't want them to ruin their lives. I don't want them to forsake their children and their families. I don't want them to end their life by well, driving behind a car while intoxicated. I don't want none of that to happen. And you say, well, shut it down then. Shut it down. Then they said, "Well, I, I got to make a living somehow." Can I say this morning? I'm honestly praying that it goes out of business. I honestly am not because I hate the owners, but I hate what it, alcohol produces. And So, preacher, we ought not to get involved in that. We ought not to. We ought not to. Uh, uh, you know, we, we just need to lay low, lay low, preacher. Not draw attention to ourselves. No, I'm going to stand for truth. I'm going to stand for what's right, especially when it's in my own backyard. I can't change what's going on in Washington. I, I can't. I mean, I'm just one voice amongst so many when it comes to the White House. But when it's in my own backyard, hey, you're going to hear what the Word of God has to say. Because listen, I'm not going to be over here praying, Lord, fix those things and those people that I can't fix, and I, I, I Lord, they're, they're throwing their lives away, and I can't do nothing about it, Lord. I can't fix them. Lord, you can, but be all right with what's going on at the end of the road. knowing good and well, that's what's contributing to most people's problems that they can't fix this morning. Let me ask you this morning, do we rejoice when God saves the worst ones, or do we criticize? We see that who can come to the Lord? Those who can't fix it themselves. Those who couldn't be fixed by others. But notice number three this morning, those who can come to the Lord, those that realize They need to be fixed. Those that realize they need help. Matthew chapter number nine, verse number 10. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Does he know where he is? Is he blind? Does he not see who's sitting at his table? I mean, just last, just a few days ago, he was talking about how that Roman had great faith and he didn't look at us and marvel at our faith and our practices. And here we are, we've got the finest of Israel, we've got a great spread before us and he's eating with publicans and sinners. I like verse number 10 though. It it came to pass that Jesus sat at at the house Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Sounds a lot like church. <laughs> no, it no, don't, preacher. Yes, it does. Let me ask you this one How much righteousness you got by yourself? <laughs> I don't know what category you put yourself in before I got saved and after I'm saved, I'm still a sinner. <laughs> I ain't perfect by no means. In reality is, y'all don't come to hear me. We don't come to this to hear the singing. We enjoy it. We're grateful for it. But we come here to hear from heaven, to hear of the meat that God has prepared for us. And I'm looking around the room. There's a bunch of publicans and sinners. But yet the Lord allows us within his presence. And here's the thing this morning. I don't know if you've ever heard it. You hang out here long enough. Somebody's going to say something to you about our church. They're going to sit over there. and I preacher don't preach like he does. oh no, our choir, our choir is made of adults and they sing, they wear robes, nothing against robes. I wouldn't go there. You let them come to your church? They sit in your pews? Don't you know where they were? Don't you know where they've been? Don't you know what they've done? Yes. Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. But I didn't come to find their back story. I came to sit at the feet of Jesus this morning. Let him speak to our hearts. He was sitting there with publicans and sinners. Publicans, those who were detested and disliked. Why? They stole from everybody. We still don't like publicans nowadays. We just call them the IRS tax agents. Heard they're hiring 80,000 more. <laughs> I was going to preach on this morning how to get your debt free. But I think it's still, it's still, it's still too soon. I don't know if I could preach about that in the right spirit, publicans, sinners, those who had stained with certain definite vices or crimes—what were they doing? They're fellowshipping. Looks like church to me. They're sitting with the Lord, fellowshipping with them over a meal. And who did the religious bother? The religious, or who did this relationship bother? The religious crowd. Religion doesn't want you to change. Why, preacher? Because if you change, religion can no longer control you. See, they were were fine when the publicans and the the sinners were in their proper place in the bottom of society doing the wrong that they could stand up in their, their pulpits inside of the temples and say, that's wrong. We'll never do those kind of things. I'm a Pharisee. I'll never be that. Look what religion has produced in my life. Can I say this more? But the moment Jesus saved them, now they're no longer under the control of the Pharisees, and the Pharisees don't like it. Three things about religion. One, it doesn't mind labeling you. It doesn't mind separating you. It doesn't mind pushing you towards doubt. Look at verse number 12, or verse number 11. When the disciples saw it, they said unto the disciples, why eatest thou, or why why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? As if they didn't know who Jesus was eating with. Did y'all realize who he was sitting with? Yes, they knew who he was. But I like this. The question was asked to the Pharisees, or the the disciples asked the question to the, the, uh, the Pharisees asked the question to the disciples this morning. And notice who answered. It wasn't the disciples. Peter always had something to say. John knew the Lord in, in, in an in-depth way, but it isn't them who answered. Jesus said, hey, you weren't talking to me, but I'm gonna answer you. Why am I sitting where I'm sitting? It's a, because these people, these publicans and the sinners have come to me because they, ha- they know I have something they can't find in your religion. They know I have something that can help them in change. Look at verse number 12. And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. These people know they've got problems. These people know they've got issues, and they're not playing cover up like you are. They're not pretending to be whole like you are. They have come to me, and they need help. Boy, it was a glad day in my life when I realized I needed help. I can no longer do it by myself. I can no longer play the cover-up game. I can no longer pretend to be something that I was. And I'm glad for the day when I found myself at the feet of Jesus saying, Lord, I need you. Those who can come to Jesus, those that realize they need to be fixed, they were there because they needed him. And can I say this one? we realize we need to be fixed we'll find ourselves at the feet of Jesus, fellowshipping with him and saying, God, I need what you have. Can I ask you this morning, have you come to realize just how desperately you and I need the Lord this morning? Who can come to the Lord? Like I said this morning, you can go back, read chapter eight, chapter nine, you'll find out there's some more people that come to the Lord. The disciples of John come because they need some understanding. Matter of fact, Jesus' own disciples come to him with some questions they need clarity on. But can I say this morning, who can come to the Lord? Those who can't fix themselves. And those who can't fix other people or be fixed by other people, and those who know they need to be fixed this morning. Aren't you glad this morning that whosoever can come to the Lord this morning? Let's all stand this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed.